the Tipperary Village Tour. Funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Ali is out and about for us with the latest stop on our village tour. Ali, where are you? Good morning, Fran. We're in Holy Cross this morning, the latest stop on our Tip Today village tour. And we're here at the beautiful Abbey and delighted to be here in out of the rain. Not a great day outside, but a fantastic day in here. And we have some great local groups and local people and local characters to talk to uh, between now and 11. John G, of course, joins me here as well. John G, um, Always, I suppose, every time we go to a village every week, we say, but sure, of course we were going to come here. And Holy Cross is no exception. Of course we were going to come to Holy Cross. Well, I'd say we certainly had to come to Holy Cross. The problem isn't doing my virtual tour here. The problem is such riches here. What do you leave out? That's the thing. And, of course, there's so much history here, which all surrounded the Abbey. But if you come in along the Turles Road, you come in, the first thing you see is the old RIC barracks on the left-hand side. And these very peaceful-looking people here, all the they attacked it in 1920, right? <laughs> they tried to burn it out. They didn't succeed, but they were giving a message that we rule this place. The British writ doesn't run here anymore. We can attack your barracks. And that, of course, that was probably, that was in January. That, some people think in 1920, it wasn't Salahid Beg, it was 1920. That was really the start of the War of Independence. So maybe we can claim it started here as well as that in Holy Cross. <laughs> and and then we come on down along into the, into the green. And the, a village like this that isn't planned, that grew up around an abbey, it's amazing that they have a green. You associate with planned towns like Doro and that kind of thing. So you come down into the village then, and of course then, this has been greatly adorned. You'll notice that anyone coming through. And what is there is sculpture. And of course they're very lucky here, right here, they have the, you have Stone Mad and you have the sculptor Philip Quinn. And those are his creations that are up there. Now I think there's an owl and a ram in that. I think what he does is it's not his own imagination. It's the imagination of the people and he then interprets them. Yeah. So he'll be able to tell you all about that as well as that. Mm -hmm. And you know then I think we all have a fear when we, and this maybe not as getting this, for me not as far away as what will happen to you in later life? And I think it's wonderful that they have the Sioux Riders here. And I always think and lots of people say it, if they could you know when the end of life comes if you could live independently like that. It's a wonderful five-acre site like that. Mm -hmm. And some great friends of mine and great people and you, you know, spent their last days there fantastic. Then we move on down and we have a very unusual parish hall because, of course, it was the parish church for a long time and I was actually at Mass there. But then with the restoration of the Abbey in 1975 uh, it became the parish hall and I think then that allowed, isn't that almost immediately, I think Geraldine Henshin of your parish will talk about that. It, that was the, the start then of the uh, drama festival. I think they're celebrating 40 years and it's been a wonderful place and I've had some lovely nights there and the standard of drama that you get there, I'd say to anyone it's comparable with anything you'll find in the Abbey or the Gate Theatre. Yeah. And then the centre point of the whole village of course is the Abbey. And I always think about this, when the Cistercians came into Ireland, they came in around, uh, it came in here around eight, uh, 11 80. And you see this great abbey growing up 
building. When people lived in mud huts and there was tiny medieval wooden uh, built cities around and the Cistercians came into Ireland and suddenly it must have looked like somebody was building a skyscraper. He was amazing. But of course the thing about that is then the Cistercians were great creators and of course they were very innovative and they brought in the best of European engineering technology and then of course around the Abbey grew up all these and I think we have a man along here who may talk about that and that's Jimmy Duggan. I think he'll know more about it but I know that the stillaries and tanneries and of course the monks themselves there's a mill and we'll be coming down to the mill then and the mill is down there and of course that was innovation that was brought in from Europe and that's where they ground their corn and of course the Abbey like the Cistercians were always very canny so they put their abbeys where did they put them? They put them beside rivers so uh, and that was then how they ground their corn down there but then I mean I remember the Abbey then being there and it was actually a ruin and it was also a graveyard I'm old enough to remember that and going in there to play and I don't know Jimmy and those will know about this yeah, but you could, up up the monk, you could go up the monk's staircase you could go up the monk's staircase, right? Do you remember that? Yeah. And there was a green space out there, That's and right. you could fall off of it. There was no health and safety, but all the kids used to be out there. And then in when, I think it was Mary Willie Hayes and Bishop Morris, were they the people who, who really uh, yeah. innovated all of this and had the idea? Yes, um, I think the, the idea was to put a roof on, 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 on the church that mm. Father Laffin had built. Mm. And um, Percy de Clark had, had just finished mm. Ballantubber Abbey. Mm. And uh, he suggested to the Archbishop, instead of putting the roof on, why don't you restore this wonderful mm. Holy Cross Abbey, where, as you say, we were running around up the walls, up, up on top of the, the, the monk's dormitory and so on. Yeah, yeah. Able to put our hand in the in the stone and the high altar that had the corrosive drop yes, dropping right. down off the roof that, that, that. That, that, that the Queen of England uh, ordered, if you like. So, um, and uh, they took it on, and the people of Holy Cross took it on. Uh, and, and, and found the craftsmanship, and I'm sure everybody, somebody else will be talking about all this. John but, Burke will talk about all yeah. of that later on. What a but, wonderful, what a wonderful yeah, project. But, yeah. Well, I would go on down to the bridge then. Now, I believe that's one of the earliest medieval bridges. It's a wonderful example of a bridge. But there's a cross in the middle of the bridge. So what's the story of that? I've yes. noticed that. Well, there, I suppose there are two things on the bridge, really, um, that people pass by. So I, people tend to pass by things in Holy Cross and focus mm. totally on the Abbey, as, as of course we should. Mm. But the, the, the first is the plaque on the bridge, mm. the, that the, build, the, the, the builder of the the bridge in 1626. So the original bridge was built uh, more or less with, with the abbey, one of the earliest bridges. It has, on one side it has segmental arches, that is an arch that doesn't have the height the same as the radius. And uh, on the other side then it has uh, full arches, or round arches. Mm. And um, yeah. as Jim Hayes, the caretaker here, told me many, many years ago that Lord Butler and Lady O'Brien were coming to meet each other in Holy Cross and they got stuck on the bridge. Uh -huh. the, two, the two coaches got stuck on the bridge and therefore the bridge had to be widened. And the man who widened it in 1626 was a man called Nicholas Cowley. Yeah. And he left his mark, as all good tradesmen do. Not, not a mason's mark as we have in the Abbey. He left a shield on the bridge with the, the coats of arms of the O'Briens and the Dunboyne butlers. And underneath it, he's, he addresses the traveller. Ad viatores. Ad viatores. Ad viatores. 
um, pray for the souls of Lady O'Brien and uh, Lord Butler. And may they escape the Stygian pit of hell. Yeah. That's well, what he says. They're all very sober looking people here this morning. But you'll have to well, tell me. I love me that, that calling says spade a spade. Oh, don't you? I love that calling is spade a spade. And there was a lot of industry there. And there was a huge distillery here as well as that parish to Tosh. Yes, the Armstrongs had an idea of planning a village up towards the green. And so bring, it was a kind of a planned village. That was the plan. Yeah. But as it turned out, the artisan village was on the, the Cashel Road. Yeah. And all along that houses you had Joe Gleason the carpenter, you had the stonemason, you had the forge and you had the cooper as well. And the cooper then is linked into that great project, the distillery, mm. uh, built by Powers of Ballet David and his wife Ellen Desmond who were buried in Holy Cross. And uh, it was a huge complex, five to seven to eight acres. He bought the land of Clarks of Great No, that are the other great maker of Holy Cross, the mm. big house, as, as you were talking about earlier. And uh, it, it, it was a huge, huge project. And at the time, funnily enough, we didn't we didn't drink porter till after the famine. Did you know that, John? Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah, know no, that. I mean, you're, I mean, till after the famine. I, when we were talking about drinking pints and half pints, yeah pints of whiskey and half pints of whiskey. Oh. The amount of whiskey and stuff that was distilled in Ireland in those years, I mean, 1841, I think it was 7 million gall gallons, you know, 1843, 10 million gallons, you know. Uh, Father Matthew gave the pledge mm. to 14,000 people in one day in the square in Thurles. And did he so, put the powers out of business, was that? <laughs> well, you know, it was a factor. It was, was it? a factor. Yes. Yeah, Father Matthew was, was a factor. And then the different laws were brought in and, and that, and eventually uh, it, it did go out of business. But the whole glory of it was that much of that weathered stone was used in the restoration of the Abbey. And that's where the stone came from? So, some of it came so from there. It's reborn yeah. again in the reborn Abbey, isn't it wonderful? Again, that's, you know, and that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole thing, isn't it? The whole renewal of Holy Cross down through the centuries. But the cross then on the, the bridge, are you, you're not letting you get away with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a great, it's another great story because as you're walking across the bridge and if you look up at Jim, Jim Hayes' gable, you see a, a hole. Mm. which is a bullet hole uh, from the War of Independence. And this was the route that Crossley tenders took out from Thurles and around up uh, and around by Cabra and, 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 and back in. Mm. And as Richard Lumley, or lo known locally as Dick Umley, was at a wake there in Cardiff, or Stakenham's there, which is Jim Hayes' house, uh, and he, he came out to, for a pull on his pipe. Mm. And as the, the tender was coming through Holy Cross, they were letting fly at everything, and they shot him dead. Wrong, ma wrong, wrong man, well, right man, maybe wrong place. No, no not so much right innocent. man, no, he was completely innocent, yeah, yes. completely innocent. And uh, my father, Lord Mercium, had a great story he, of, of coming, coming, to, coming to school the next morning with all the lads from Galbertstown coming uh, from the Yellow Lock across and walking over the bridge up to the school in the green. And there was Dick Humley's body laid out on the laid out on the bridge and the coroner was doing a post-mortem and he remembers the bowls of blood being thrown into, into the river and uh, I often think of all this PTSD and all that mm -hmm. these lads they, they didn't they, they saw an awful lot as 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 as, as young as young boys mm -hmm. in the war of independence but they were, you know, it, 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 it didn't, I, 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 I'm not saying it didn't affect them, I'm sure they were, they, yeah. they were horrified that morning, 
But uh, they went on to... I think it was just a tendency in those days to simply move on, wasn't that? You had to. Just to survive and look after your family, you had to. So there was a metal cross uh, nearer the place, uh, nearer the the, the house, Mm. uh, for many, many years. And then in latter years, when the, 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 they were redoing things, they have a small, simple cross in the middle, a lovely, lovely way, I think, you know, in, in, the, in the tradition of the stonemason here in Holy Cross, a, a lovely way of commemorating um, what was, you know, a, a horrific event. Yeah. Oh, Jimmy, lovely to talk to you this morning. Thank you so much. I know we could be here all day uh, talking could, about sure. the history. Come to Holy Cross and be here all day. And, yeah. and, and you'll have one of the most enriching days of your life, really. Thanks very much. Well done, Jimmy. John, if you want to come up and join us as well, because we're at the Abbey, of course, it's not just a tourist attraction. It's used for a lot of workshops uh, in terms of school visits, education visits as well. Tell us more about that. It is, it's, it's, a, it's a very busy place. There are people here who will talk about um, things that are planned for the future, yeah. but it's used for, for retreats. It's used for... Uh, the school the school groups all come down here they take tours we run a tour guide service here um, and we run special tours for schools and we grade worksheets for them for the age group specific to the age group so we take them around and we show them things and they go away with the worksheet and they find uh, things to draw and, and answers answer simple questions that are on yeah. it so there's a lot goes on here yeah in terms of, of tourism attractions, of course, we're blessed with them all over the county then. But do you find sometimes, we've spoken about that a few times, John, the way that maybe the lesser known tourist mm. attractions can be overlooked by the bigger ones because maybe Cashel gets uh, most international attention or national attention. Mm. Yeah. Do you find that that's improving? It is improving, yeah, because we do get quite a, a, a few people come from Cashel to here. Yeah. So we've, we've been working with Falch Ireland very closely for the last 10 years um, since the Ireland's Ancient East was launched and um, we work very closely with them and they're kind of helping us to advertise and we're, we're part of the of the, the Ireland's Ancient East Trail. Um, so people come to Cashel and they'll hear about Holy Cross too and they've put signage in, in Cashel and, and here indeed in Holy yeah. Cross to, to direct people to other places. So it is a case of, of telling people when they come to this part of the country that there's loads to see here. Do you find, has that helped then? Because a lot of people were cynical about that when it first came out. Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, COVID caused an awful problem, as of everyone course, knows, tourism yeah. in particular. Um, and we still haven't seen a return to the large coaches um, that we had before COVID. But hopefully that will pick up again. But we have, we have more Irish visitors now than we ever had, you know, family groups um, and retirement. Well, I, one thing I say is I used to have a teacher at one stage and teach heritage and one of the best tours you'd ever get. I came along here, I had a tour from you, John, but I had a tour tour, tour from the incomparable Carmelo O'Donnell yes, as well yeah, as that yeah. and the wonderful Marion Ryan. And yeah. they all had different stories, but my God, could they bring the place to life? And all I would say is most people probably don't know the tour guide services here. I think anybody who's listening to this show, I would urge them straight away I, book a tour because it is such a wonderful abbey wonderfully ornate it's a great Cistercian abbey but it's very different as well because it's one I mean they invested huge amounts of money and the butlers probably did but it, I'm amazed at it always because I always called Cistercian abbeys like Ryan eyes you know that mm. they were all the same they were built yeah, the same, same as 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 uh, Ryanair but Holy Cross somehow with the Sedili and the Waking yeah. Bear and all that it's so ornate it's very different they had money those it's, guys oh, it's very different different it is and um, there's so as you said there's so much here I think it was when, when the when the butlers were patrons of the mm. Abbey mm. Um, particular the, the fourth Earl James Butler the White Earl uh, the first half of the 15th century there was huge um, investment in, in here there was a restoration done at that time and all the beautiful stone carved carvings that you see in the Abbey um, that was all from that period the the rib vaulting in the in the ceilings the sedilia mm. the waking beer 
they're fantastic pieces. But you mentioned the tour there. What makes the tour of Holy Cross Abbey really special is that our guides are all volunteer guides. Mm. So they come here with a real passion for, for passion, what, the story yes. and for the history of the place. And they share that with everyone. And you mentioned Carmel and, and Marion and the difference. And myself, you, you heard three different versions because yes. there's so much here that you could, you know, you, you, the tour will take it wherever the people want to, mm. to go, whatever their interests are whether it's an architectural interest or a history or a religious, we can, we can cater for all those groups. So there's yeah. so much here. But you're right, people should, should book a tour here. Just get onto the parish office and book a tour. Is it still very popular for wedding photos? Oh, gosh, yeah. There's the house in Tipperary <laughs> that doesn't have a wedding and photo. And further, further afield, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. I often, I often when I'm, when I'm um, giving a tour, we, we look back up the abbey and you see the, the, the floor rising to the back. And I often wonder... Did, 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 did many photographs were many photographs taken of brides and, and grooms slipping coming down there because it's quite steep, you know, right. um, and to be walking down there in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's lovely to hear it's still a very popular spot. Oh, it is, yeah, very, very popular. Yeah. yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, very popular for weddings, yeah. Oh, very good. Lovely to talk to you today. I know we're probably going to come back yeah. to you as well. Tom, come on up here. How are you doing, Tom? The last time I spoke to you, we were looking for owls, weren't we? Yes, we were. We were. Barn owls. Barn owls. How uh, yeah. is that going, actually? Going very well. Well done. I'm part of the Barn Owl Monitoring Group for Birdwatch Tipperary. Yeah. So, uh, this year, well, the year just gone by, in 2023, in the same area as we did in 2022, we had an increase of one-third. That's fantastic. Uh, unbelievable. They had, had <clears throat> excuse me, a good winter. Yeah. The year before. Are we, and we're still the highest in the country when it comes to Barnow population. Yeah, one of the highest counties. Yeah. I think we have about a quarter of the Irish population of Barnowls Brilliant. From, from in the whole country. Yeah. Which is great. And it's growing. And the interest, uh, there are four of us in, in the group uh, Anya Lynch, um, Galen Purcell, uh, Liam Crow, and myself. Now, Liam Crow is probably the hero of it all because he voluntarily makes the owl boxes mm. at cost and gives them out to farmers. Uh, he's approaching about 100 boxes at the moment. Wow. Going, and they're gone all around the county. And we can't forget, it all started from a class discussion in a school in Ballycahill, didn't it? It did, actually. Incredible. Kevin Collins came to the school about 1994, which is exactly 30 years ago, and he gave a talk to the children. He had them eating out of his hand. He really caught their imagination about the owl. And the kids did a project then, straight away, and they submitted it for uh, a national project run by, or sponsored by ESSO, which was a petroleum company at the time. And they, they won the national award for that and of course that uh, started the whole project the children came back from after winning their award and they said they'd need to do something for the barn owls so they got six teachers and they put them up around Ballycahill area it was Ballycahill school and they put them up around Ballycahill area and we never thought about those again for about another 10 or 12 years and then John Lusby from Birdwatch Ireland came to inspect the boxes and out of the six, four had been occupied for a long time. Brilliant. Yeah, so it ha that, that's how the nest box... And that, just as a matter, you know the Coralio and the Hen Harrier are mm -hmm. all endangered species. Yes. Is the barn owl under pressure as well? Or, you know, are, I, you know yeah. to the yeah. same extent outside Certainly. of Tipperary? Certainly. In 1994, uh, we had no barn owls at all in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland, six none, counties? None, in the six counties. Absolutely none. Uh, they're back. Hmm. But that's because of the conservation measures that have been taken, and we're, we're begging farmers, please let your hedges grow. Hmm. If you let the hedges grow, the fruit and flower, they feed the little voles and shrews that the owls feed on. Hmm. 
And then there's a huge explosion in biodiversity if you let the hedges up. Somebody said to me, actually Liam Crow said to me, he said, Tom, I'd put it on your tomb, let the hedges up. <laughs> so bird life is under pressure, though, generally all over the world, and particularly in Ireland, isn't it? It is. Would it, be it is. A You're generalisation. Yes, yes. And that's from intensive farming. It's from uh, the plethora of chemicals that we use, mm -hmm. and the barn owl is at the top of the food chain, mm -hmm. and we can learn from them. The, those pesticides are building up in their tissues. Mm -hmm. So if they're building up in their tissues, they're building up in ours. It's a warning sign for our health ourselves. Yeah. What we're also going to talk to you today is folklore, because I know you're, you're, you've huge interest in local folklore. Um, what I hate seeing is the local folklore stories tend to be lost over the generations. And I know you, you've played a pivotal role in keeping those stories going through uh, the generations. So they're there for, for future generations as well. Can I ask you, put you on the spot, <laughs> what, what's some of your, your favourite folklore <clears throat> stories locally? Oh, the local one, of course, again, to do with the Abbey. You know, and it connects Holy Cross and Ballycahill. Right, so it's the story of the King and Queen of England uh, sent their son to Ireland to collect... Peter's Pence, which was a collection for the Pope. And his mother gave him a ring. And the prince was more told, if you get into trouble, let us know, send the ring back. And as he was passing through a Fogarty ter territory, three miles north of the Abbey, uh, <clears throat> uh, he was attacked and killed by the O'Fogarty's. Now, he was a Norman prince. You can see why. And he was buried in a shallow grave, and nothing was heard of him for two years. And then a monk here in the Abbey uh, who was blind, had a vision three nights running that there was a body buried in a clearing in the woodland where a white boar was grazing. So after the third night's vision, he went to the abbot and the abbot said, go and take a helper and find where the spot is. So they did. And three miles north of the abbey in Ballycal, a place called Bula, they, they found a clearing in the wood with white boar grazing and the hand sticking above the ground and on the hand was a ring. So the moment the blind monk touched the, the prince's hand, his sight was restored. So the, they exhumed the body and buried it in the grave of the good woman's son, already mentioned as Sedelia. And they gave him a Christian burial there, and the place where the, the prince had been buried, a well sprung up and had a cure for eyes, of course, because it's associated with the blindness. Yeah. So that well is still there today. We're hoping that for the 50th anniversary of the Abbey restoration, we will do a pilgrim walk to that well. Oh, lovely. And connect the, the two ends of the parish. It would be a lovely thing to do. Yeah. But anyway, when the, when the monks took the ring across to the Queen <clears throat> and told her what had happened, she cursed the O'Fogarty's. And her words are, they'll grow like swine and wither away like bracken for the want of male heirs and that a corrosive drop, and Jimmy already mentioned this, that there's a corrosive drop will drop on their tomb in Holy Cross Abbey yeah. until the last male heir died. So uh, she wasn't good at the curse because it took about 600 years for the last male heir to die. <laughs> and is there a story so, about how the true cross came here related uh, that, to that? That's related to that. Then, yes. And then when she calmed down, the Queen said to the King, give them the relic of the true cross. And he said, no, I will not. Uh, I'll give them land, I'll give them gold, but I'm not giving the precious relic. Mm. So uh, she again flew into her age, 
uh, if it was Queen Elderac retained, she was likely to fly into a rage anyway. But uh, she, she uh, flew into rage, she tossed her hair in anger, she went on her bended knees and she said, on my bended knees and with unkempt hair, I will not rise from this place and accept no refreshments of food or rest, but pine away in mourning and sorrow till your majesty assents to my pious wishes. Wow. Isn't that beautiful royal language for I'm going on hunger strike, I meant to say. You know, so, uh, she said a tradition, didn't he, she? Yeah. The king gave in and he said to the monk, you can't, you can't take this relic out of my realm. So the monk cut an incision in his tie, he hid the six-inch relic inside the wound he lore for the cross to England and as the walk, as the travelled from Waterford Harbour all the way to Holy Cross Abbey. Every church they passed, the bells rang out out of respect for the relic. Oh. And when they came here, the five bells on the abbey rang out of their own accord. Yeah. And the relic fell from his leg, the wound healed over, and they enshrined it. We think they enshrined it or, or uh, displayed it where what we call the waking beer is. So that's how the relic is supposed to have come. That's the that's the folklore story that was written here in the Abbey in 1640 by Brother Malachy Hartry. The real, the real story has to do with King Queen and Richard the Lionheart, which is another day's story. Yeah, I w we might go into that another day, Tom, but lovely to talk to you <laughs> okay. today. Thanks so Thank much. Thanks, We're going to take great. a quick break from Holy Cross and we'll be back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to the Tip Today Village Tour. We are live at Holy Cross Abbey this morning, showcasing the wonder and the beauty that is Holy Cross. Uh, Michael Long from Cabra Wetlands joins me now. We were talking to Tom, um, and Tom, of course, a great advocate for everything environmental. And, of course, in Cabra Wetlands, I've been lucky to be there a number of times. Tell us about the role of the wetlands, maybe, for anyone who isn't aware of it. Well, maybe just to say, to start, a lot of the people here have connections with Cabra Wetlands. Um, Look, I suppose the role of it really is, uh, in, in, a, in a word, would be a focal point within the county, really, for drawing attention to, to, the, to our need, really, to pay more attention to, to, the, to our environment and, mm -hmm. and uh, how we might live differently in, in, in the world around us, really. That's essentially what it's about. Yeah, and tell us about the, the walks and environmental tours that you do there. Well, um, we're trying to... I suppose we had done our name for Cabra Wetlands. Cabra... The old Irish word for Cabra is a swamp. It's a swamp. Um, I suppose it's kind of interesting, and maybe just to say at the beginning, that, you know, uh, until maybe 30, 40 years ago, wetlands were seen as places of no value, really. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, if you look at old maps, there were several attempts that they made to drain that area back over the years. Um, it's kind of interesting, if you look at the last 30, 40 years, I think our... Our, if you like, how, how we have changed our view of wetland is almost like the story of how we're gradually beginning to maybe reappreciate the world around us and our place in the world around us, and maybe our need to live in a more sustainable way in the world around yeah. us. Um, because initially, back when the, the, the Cabra Wetlands was connected to the sugar factory, and excess water from the process of, of the beet process went out into what is a natural wetland. And then when the sugar factory closed, a few local, actually essentially gun clubs came together and uh, 
they had their own ideas at the time, but they did a really, really valuable thing, and that was they secured 14 acres initially. Hmm. Otherwise, it was, this next suggestion was that the town dumped there because wetlands were seen as no value. Yeah. But they really, I think that was a, that was a key intervention, really. Um, and then over the years, I suppose, we have managed, at the, at the moment, with the aid of grants and so on, we have, we have probably about 80 acres of wetland now for conservation. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and it is valuable. You know, I suppose, looking at figures, I think globally we've drained about 65% of our wetlands in the last 50 years. In Ireland, we've drained about 75%. So we're ahead so of the game. We're a bit ahead of the game. And it makes what we have quite valuable. Yeah. If you think of things like... Um, I was down in Clanmel just yesterday at a little workshop and I was saying to the people there, you really should be grateful to us up here because we're holding back all the water. <laughs> you, you'd be flooded out of it twice as much only for we're, yeah. we're up here. So, because wetlands are a kind of a natural flood control mechanism yeah. in the landscape. And not only that, but there's flora and fauna that, that started growing in Cabra that had never been really seen before. It was just when the land, the land was left to grow of its own devices. Well, it, it is a natural site. So, yeah. I mean, as I said, it is a flood control. It does recycle water. Water is so critical at the moment and it's under such pressure. And they are natural biodiversity hotspots. Of course they are. In fact, Kevin Collins was mentioned earlier. Kevin would, would say he's involved with Birdwatch Ireland. He would say about about 2,000 birds over winter in Cabra Wetlands. Mm. You might see them any given day, but they use that as a place for, for security and for food and so on. And are the wetlands under threat in the sense of global warming? I mean, will that have an effect on the environment as well? I mean, in, in the past it was artificial drainage that affected those. And I remember when I was a young lad and, you know, seeing books there who are say, uh, magazines come here and say there's grants now to drain all that land, cut all those hedges, bulldoze them out. We've changed now but is it under threat now from the natural change in the weather? Or? It, it might be. In fact about five years ago we had we got in some, some people to look at it and there was a concern that it was drying out a bit. We have to keep an eye on that mm, I think yeah. that mm. keep the water levels um, uh, right if you like for it so we might have to do some small intervention but for the moment I think it it's not, it's, not, it's not immediate, but yeah. it's something you need to keep an eye on, for sure. Oh, for such a life-giving, it's yeah. to all flora and fauna, isn't it? It's wonderful. And just last week, we had our, our hatch of um, frogs in the pond laying their spawn. And, and I love to see the frogs in the spawn, because they are kind of the canary in the coal mine, I think, for water quality. Yeah. If you have frogs, it probably means your water is, is quite good. Um, so, so in that sense, I mean, that's, that's an important thing, you know. But we are trying to, I suppose, the original people there did a very good job. They, they, they set out a, a threefold vision for Cabra Wetlands, which was conservation, and I'm talking about recreation, and education. And I think those, that threefold vision serves the place quite well. Yeah. Um, around education, we do work with, with schools, and we do, we're a primary science provider for primary schools. We do field study with secondary schools. So we'd have the kind of equipment for, for field study work. And in recent years then we put in what we call a cosmic walk, which is which essentially our creation story as we understand it now um, is based on four wisdoms. The wisdom of science, the wisdom of women you'd be glad to hear, yeah. and the wisdom of indigenous people and the classics. Um, I'm, I'm very, uh, you were talking about story earlier. Like I really think story is key just yesterday, the European Parliament passed the nature restoration law. And, and about, but story is key in all of this, in the sense that, um, you know, what our story is telling us now is that the earth works because it all works together. That's why it works. Yeah. It's a man called Thomas Berry that I studied, he would say, 
it can be best understood as a communion of subjects rather than a collection of objects. Yeah. If the world was only people, it wouldn't work. It, is a, it has emerged over the last four billion years as an interdependent community of life. Mm. And that's what we have to keep an eye on. Earth is primary. Yeah. We're just arrived. And uh, we're, we're trying to find our place in the family of things, but we're, we're struggling a bit. Well done for all your great work there. Thanks so much for that, Michael Long Thanks, from Cabra Wetlands. Give him a hand, lads. Hey, go on, Michael. Sadie Dwyer, lovely to talk to you this morning. Thank How you are you? Thank you very much. Good, thank you. Because, of course, we're here at the Abbey uh, this year, next, next year, the 50th anniversary of the restoration. Just give us some background to that. I mean, the amount of work that, that went into that and, and since that was yeah. been incredible. Well, um, I started to work here in 1971 at the very start of the restoration of the Abbey Church. So my four years working here was totally involved in the restoration of the church. And um, the amount of work that was done, it was incredible. Um, when I started here at first, um, the Abbey Church, as we know it now, was actually a graveyard. Yeah, I remember yeah. it, yes, and I remember it well. all of the uh, process had to come into place mm. to get permission from all the parishioners to have the remains reinterred, and that was duly done. And it could never have been done without the permission of the parishioners to allow that to happen. Yeah. And um, like basically, it was there was no roof, there was no roof on anything. And, and to see the work evolving over the four years, I literally saw every bit of the work going on, and it was amazing. And the team of workers that were here and the, the fundraising, I was involved in the fundraising, and it was a diocesan project, so the whole diocese was involved in the fundraising. And we sent out people all over the diocese, and people from all over the place came in and helped with that, mm. and that was vital uh, to fund it. Would it, would it be true to say that there was no grants whatsoever involved? You didn't get any grants, is no, that right? Everything had to be raised. Yeah. It's not like today where you can get 70-80% grants on some no, things. You had to do everything from scratch. It was a different time like, and, yeah. and these things weren't in place then, you know. So it was just basically the parish needed a new church and it was going to be a question of restore the old church which is now the hall or re-roof this one yeah. and I suppose it really started off you know at a smaller scale but it, it turned out to be a much bigger project like you know and also from the in the 70s a bit like today costs really escalated mm -hmm. and I suppose from when the star work was uh, projected costs it went much higher mm -hmm. next no. year then as i said is the the 50th anniversary right. what plans are there then well, to mark that uh, claire ryan is here now claire is the is the chairperson of a special group we have got together and uh claire and her colleagues and all of us together i'll be coming to you yeah yeah come on claire come on up and tell us about it actually yeah there are great plans uh, for and um, thanks to claire and all the committees she has put together and we're all doing our own little yeah. Bit. So we have subcommittees within the main committee and yeah. we're all doing our bit. And, yeah, Claire well done, Claire. Tell us about that. What is planned for next well, year? Well, uh, we have a number of projects in operation at the moment. How we're set up, we have a core committee and they define strategy and identify projects that are required to expedite on our goals and objectives. And we also meet once every two months with the wider community to give them an update and, to, of course, to get feedback. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there might be projects out there that people would identify that we would 
wouldn't have thought of. So we have a number of projects in operation at the moment. Currently, uh, one is uh, under Heritage, Build Heritage, and we're very, very lucky to have such great people like the Guides, Stone Mad, that are feeding into that. We also have a project on remedial uh, work, looking at the fresco and how we can improve that. But again, we're very, very lucky to have people like Seamus Cross, Pat Conley here, and Catherine Moraid, who are continually working on the Abbey to make sure it's kept in a fit state. Uh, we also have an events team, and the events team have put together a guide plat of a guide plat of events for 2024 and we'll be expediting on the first event on the 9th of March so on the 9th of March we're going to actually have an afternoon tea up in, this is called the dormitory so people will be getting their old china that they used to lovely. see in the presses yeah. uh, at home that you couldn't touch and lovely eateries as well. We'll follow that on then I uh, in the end of May and we're going to do um, a film up here now, the film is actually, we're very, very lucky that in 1972 to 1975, um, RTE came down and did a doc documentary. So the film clippage is absolutely amazing. So you can actually see the story as it unfolds about how the restoration took place. So I would say to anyone, come on the night, everybody is welcome. So there'll be information going out on that later on. Towards the end of the year, then, we will be putting on, first of its kind, a concert in the Abbey. So we'll be bringing in an orchestra and we'll be bringing in um, some key artists, of which I can't tell you who oh. they are, so you're going to have to turn up. Oh. Uh, so, and then, towards the end of the year, um, we're going to uh, celebrate Willie Hayes. Willie Hayes was instrumental in the restoration. His footprints are all over the Abbey. So it's, we're going to do an event to acknowledge his um, work. We were very lucky to have him. Yeah. So that's just our starting yeah. point. And he was actually, of course, the priest in the Abbey at yeah, that yeah. stage, isn't yes, that right? Yes. And he was so passionate about yeah, it and yeah. so passionate about history. Yeah. And unfortunately, we lost him this year, but I think this is fit and I think it will be a fabulous yeah. event and we're very, very lucky to have Stone Mad here, Philip. Yeah. Absolute talent, talent. So um, They're mad about you, Philip. Yeah. Go on, Jordy, yeah. give him a hand there. You're much loved. <laughs> so we will unveil a bust that Philip will have created. So we're very excited Fantastic. about that. So Anyone who's looking for information on what's coming up, where's the best place we're to go or keep go, an eye out? Well, um, we will be putting out a calendar of events in the near future. But if you need to know anything about what the Jubilee Committee uh, is doing, I would say give Catherine a ring in the office. She'll kill me. <laughs> <laughs> She's Perfect. fantastic. Thanks so much for okay, that. And we look forward you. to it. I'm sure we'll be able to hear more of what's, what's coming up over the okay, years. So wish you, you all the best much. with it. Margaret, come on up to me. You're waiting all morning. How are you, Margaret? Hi, how are you? Good, of course. Holy Cross. What it's also, aside from the Abbey, I'd say number two of what it's most known for now is the Cutloose Festival. I think so. And yeah. um, look, at, it is a great event in the calendar, not only just for the parish and community here, but maybe for the country music fans, not only in this country, but abroad. Yeah. And we have seen people from Scotland, England, 
and all over Ireland coming here and we're getting great feedback. It's amazing how big it's getting every year. Does that get a bit daunting though or is it exciting? Well, I think it's exciting really. Yeah. Um, I think we have over the years learned our few lessons with regard to how to run this festival and um, we are blessed to have a really good committee and we have learned exactly what we need to do and of course nothing would happen without all the volunteers. I mean on the day we have approximately 200 volunteers and they range in age from, I'm not exaggerating, from seven-year-olds to 70, 80-year-olds. Wow. You work them hard here in Holy Cross. Oh, yeah. Sure. Look, at I, I do get a great kick out of seeing, I have a vision here now of Mikey Ryan sitting on a chair at the stand, keeping a very close eye on the parking of the disability and the uh, area. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then the young lads going around picking up rubbish all day long. Yeah. Is it true that when you started off, you were ringing up the artists and they wouldn't maybe always even return your calls? Now they're ringing you. They, there's Absolutely. more artists looking to play here than you can accommodate. Am Absolutely. I right? That's, that's a measure that, of your that, success. That's, that is a fact, yes. And you, look, at it is... Full, full compliments to the committee and yeah. what they're doing. Uh, where are we now in terms of planning for this year's event? Well, uh, there would be initial kind of plans made last year after the event and over the next month there'll be everything will be confirmed and okay. you'll, you'll be seeing it on Tip FM. And we can't wait. Can any drop us any old hints? Who's, well, who's coming this year? Well, I can't, I can't divulge that information. Ah, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. But I can tell you all roads lead to um, uh, Holy Cross GA field on the 14th of July. Tell me about the GA as well, because I know you're going to talk to me about that. Uh, like many villages across this county, big GA scene here in Holy Cross as well. We have really, and I suppose, look at it, it's in no small measure to kind of all the people are involved there again. And also, I suppose, since 2005, we put in the John Dial Centre, we built and developed that. And I think that has had a huge impact on the involvement and the people that are in it. And um, it is... Uh, Kind of, it's it's what would I say about the centre? What we have is we have now a recreational facility, yeah. I suppose you'd like to say, between the two pitches, the astroturf, the walkway. It's a great thing because yeah. we were talking about that before. A lot of pitches developing that now, and it brings in the community of people that maybe mightn't necessarily been interested in GA. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you see young mothers with their prams walking around, and then you see young people going into the gyms. You see them on the astroturf. You see uh, more senior people like myself going Way out walk about, that. going walk about, <laughs> and of course. We have look at we have two gyms, Julian um, Dunn and Mick King, and both of them going, doing really well and able to facilitate every age profile. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Wish you all the best for the Thank year ahead. Anyway, well done. Thank you, Geraldine. I've met you one or twice before, haven't oh, I? Just a few times, Ali. <laughs> yeah. How are you this Tell morning? me about the Drama Festival. Well, the Drama Festival, you know, if it's March, it has to be drama in Holy Cross. There's always a drama going on in Holy Cross. Yeah. <laughs> but the one on the, the stage, the one on the is, stage. Is, is the time to be in Holy Cross for drama. Yeah, the drama, our 40th year is uh, this year on the starting on the 15th of March. That's incredible, 40 years. Yeah, 40 years uh, since 1983. It was originally in Thurlis, and then when um, then it was literally moved out to Holy Cross after that mm. in 1983, and some of our um, founder members are still there. Um, Donald Duggan is still.
still the festival director. And, um, you know, it's, it's just gone from strength to strength every year. Um, we're very lucky in Holy Cross because um, there's 37 festivals across the country. Mm. And we're the only one in Tipperary. Wow, really? Uh, yeah, Kildare has three and Cork has two. There's other counties with multiple ones, but uh, the only festival in Tipperary is in Holy Cross. Tell us what's on the schedule for this year then. Well, there's a, you know, there's a great, um, great uh, variety. Uh, we start on Friday night with our own group, um, Holy Cross Ballycal, doing Dancing at Lunasa. They've just had a run here the last few days and it's been sellout. It's been fantastic. They've done extremely well. So they're starting off on their circuit. Um, you know, you have to do you eight your festivals. Feature. I know, oh, I know. God. I'll manage. <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah, the, like the whole thing about festival, you have to do, you don't have to do, you, you can do a maximum of eight festivals. Um, you have to kind of win two and you'd be guaranteed two wins and maybe two seconds, which will get you to the All-Ireland. Really? Um, yeah, so they could be, I know Holy Cross are going from, um, Holy Cross are going, they're starting out in uh, Roscommon, they're going to West Cork, they're going to Kildare, they're going um, Claire Galway, you know, so it's a huge commitment. It is a huge commitment. Huge How many commitment. members in the group then? Well, in the group, the, the, the actual drama group itself, yeah. there could be maybe, I think we have about 20, 25 members. But out of that, there's very, very few going on yeah. the circuit. You know, people just can't commit anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, I suppose life has just gone so fast and work commitments, children, everything just gets caught mm. up, you know. Yeah. Um, but they're doing it and uh, they you know they could arrive back at one or two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You and know, it's all for the love of the stage, really, isn't the next it? Day. Yeah. It's all for the love of the stage. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of the programme then yeah. for this year, yeah. where can people get more details on it? Well, there's a website, www.tipperarydrama.ie. Um, we have flyers out everywhere and we have road signs out. Um, there's We don't um, book seats because the hall is so big, yeah. it's impossible. Um, but we have season tickets, which are very reasonable. Very reasonable. 70 euro for nine nights of drama. Um, or you 15 euro per night, uh, so really the 70 euro is great, but yeah. great value. Um, so yeah, we have Moyne as well from Tipperary. Um, there's only actually, would you believe, there's 30, 35, 35 drama groups in County Tipperary, and out of 35, only three or four compete. You know, yeah. Holy Cross, Thurlis, Nina, and Carrick. Um, and oh, mine as well, I apologise to mine, they're just starting out. Um, but this year, there's only Holy Cross and mine are, are uh, competing. Yeah. You know, it's difficult to go on every year, of very course. hard. We yeah. wish you continued success. Thank you Break so a much. leg as well Thank for you. the year ahead. Well done. Um, Liz and Philip then. Come on up here and join me. Philip, a lot of talk about you all morning, Philip. Listen, tell us about, about your work in sculpture. Um, well, we work in uh, stone and wood and um, work generally around the county and we've made pieces for above in the Cabra Wetlands as well yeah. on the Cosmic Walk with Tom and Michael there. Were between, it's a 
like we, we carve stone and wood, but it's a whole family thing. Like we, yeah. Liz and myself do it, and then our kids and all fall in at it as well. So we also work with groups, and the pieces around the village here were uh, there. That was. Um, by the development association, kind of got that going. The pieces that are carved from the abbey, like I have a little story pieces. here too. By the way, right. you remember before you came along? For some reason, fans seemed to lose enthusiasm for all this walking. One day we'd been walking the High King's Loop in Cashel, and it was rain and it was wet and everything else. And uh, you know, like kind of would be finished up with it. The next thing, anyway, we came along and we found on the side of the route there was this huge head of a bull with a ring in his nose, and Fran said. <laughs> me, what's that about? And I said, well, I don't know, you know what it is. And then I was talking about the bull of Cooley, but maybe you know it's down there. So anyway, uh, we didn't sort it out anyway there. So will you tell us, what is the significance of the bull outside Cashel on the High King's Walk? The bull, it's kind of, when we went up to look at the spot for it, it's, it's a real cutaway and it's skinny, like, you know, so it's kind of we're looking at different things in the rock inside in Cashel. There are two different bulls, but both of them look kind of almost Egyptian or something. So we thought we'd carve just a big bull's head. It's it's nearly nine tons weight, yeah. and it's um, Lizzie gilded the horns on it. So it's twenty three carat gold. Lizzie and Eve gilded wow. the horns on it. But um, it's to do with like the bull and the bear economy, and it being a market town as well. Like there's a lot of things around the bull, and then the gold to do with Fidelma and her golden calves or golden cows. It was she had. But I reckon there had to be a golden bull somewhere. Well, she's a great woman because she's yeah, married yeah. to Amanda Stone Mad, isn't she? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jenny, man. yeah, how long has Stone Mad been up and running now? Ara, we kind of just took the name from Seamus Murphy's book there back whenever, I don't know, 30 years, I yeah. suppose now, yeah. 30 years, but um, it was after reading Seamus Murphy's book, the famous cock sculptor, Yeah. Uh, it was given as a present to me, and... Uh, that's how we just took the book, but sure, there are loads of people stoned. <laughs> Absolutely. Liz, can I ask you as well? I, you know, I was so interested to hear the story about the cows and the Queen's cows. The Tell cows. me about the Highland cows Queen's you have. Cows, yeah, we have, um, they're not a herd of cows, they're a fold of cows. If you have Scottish Highland cows, they're known as a fold. And they're the beautiful long-haired, long-horned. Yeah. Yeah, I often stunning. say if you were going to draw a cartoon of a cow, this is what you'd come up with. Yeah. They're very short legs, long red hair and enormous horns. Um, despite the look of them with the horns, they're actually very peaceful, placid animals. They're beautiful. Yeah. They're really good for biodiversity. I know we've mentioned that a few times this morning with a few great advocates here, champion stalwarts for biodiversity around. These cattle are excellent for the land. Uh, they're very good to eat the thatch of grass and they allow a lot of the natural wildflowers to come back on the land. And tell me how you came in possession of them. Well, we had a smallish fold and we wanted to expand it slightly. So uh, it's a very long story. I won't uh, bore you with it this morning, but we eventually came across two very special cows and they came from the herd, the fold, I should say, of Queen Elizabeth in Balmoral Castle in Scotland. So... Um, Poignantly, I suppose, it was the morning that Prince Philip died that we were taking our cattle from Balmoral Cat um, Castle. So there was a cattle truck driving out through all the television cameras wow. and everything else with our uh, two very special cows in there. So we've had, we've been very lucky, we've had a few heifer calves from those two cows and they've actually gone up to very close to the Hill of Tara. Mm. So I like to think that the 
royals from Scotland yeah. are now with the ancient royals of Ireland up around Tara. It's beautiful. It's almost come full circle, really, exactly. is it? Yeah. And that's where we leave it. I'm afraid we're out of time for Holy Cross. We could have given it another hour. Sorry, Fran, I know I'm over time again. But from everyone here in Holy Cross, thank you so much for joining us and telling us your story this morning. Well done. Back to you in studio, Fran. Well, thanks very much indeed, Ali, and thanks to everybody taking part in that wonderful programme from one of the most beautiful places indeed in uh, the county, lovely Holy Cross. News and information's coming.